I'm so glad that you guys are here with us as you're watching online. Uh, we're, we're starting a new series just exposing the lies that we can easily believe. And some of you may have heard this story. This is a, this is a true story that happened on Sunday, October 30th. 1938. Do we have any 1938ers in the... Anybody born 1938 or before? Remember that? Ruth Brooks just yelled out. She goes, I was in the first service, so we know Ruth Brooks was. But listen to this story, and some of you may recall this story, true story. On Sunday, October 30th, 1938, the Columbia Broadcasting Network aired um, a 1998 novel, War of the Worlds, by H.G. Wells. Now, what happened during the broadcast, if you guys don't know, uh, the first two-thirds of the story were aired over the radio in a series of breaking news alerts. The effect was so realistic that many of the listeners panicked and believed aliens were invading our nation or uh, Chinese balloons in the air. I don't know which it was, but something like that. Um, uh, that, that, that was invading. They thought aliens were invading because it was so real. The news stories were so real. Even before the end of the broadcast, doctors, nurses, military personnel reported for duty to fight the Martians or the aliens. Police stations across the country responded to thousands of calls. Newspaper reporters hearing of the invasion rushed to prepare special editions. The show's producers... Were, were so unprepared for the response, never thinking that anyone believe, would believe that the broadcast was real. Was real. And this was an article done by the social historian. Um, but over the last couple years, especially through COVID, we've experienced so much information and more importantly, misinformation. And we kind of call it, what do we call it in our day and age? Fake news, right? There's a lot of fake news going around. And, and trying to find the truth is extremely difficult and frustrating with all the fake news that's out there, right? And maybe some of you have done this, maybe on your social media post, you thought something was true, you posted it, only to come to, out, come to find out later it wasn't true. So the only thing I would tell you is do your research, before you put something out there, amen? And so we're exposed with all this information and whether or not it's true, whether or not it's fake, whether it's not a lie. And if we're not careful, it's easy to believe a lie. And guess who the person that you lie to the most? Yourself. And so we need God's word, the truth of God's word. We believe it's ultimate truth to wade through all the things that we're hearing in the world, all the things that are told to us so that we can live in Christ in the truth of his word so that we can be able to understand what is counterfeit, what isn't truth, what is fake, so that we can live our lives in the freedom that Christ desires us to live. So what we're doing is we're going to expose some lies that we can tend to believe and how do we overcome them. And so what I want to look at today is I want to look at two things today about forgiveness and about the battle of forgiveness and the lies that we can believe about forgiveness. So many of our relationships and our dysfunctional relationships boil down to this one thing of forgiveness, either receiving forgiveness or giving forgiveness. And so many times we hold on to things and hold on to bitterness, and, and we just don't have a correct understanding of what forgiveness is, is all about. 
And I want to look at a couple of things. Not only that, not only how can I find forgiveness, because many times we feel like, how can I be forgiven for the things that I've done? But the other question is this. Do I just forgive myself? How can I forgive myself? And that's another area that's really tricky that I want to dive into today. Maybe you've made some really poor choices in your past and they still haunt you and you can't get over them. How many have ever made a poor choice in your past, right? And, and there are definitely things in our past that we have these regrets that haunt us. Now, we may try to bury them, but there's always something that might come up Something that might remind us. We thought that thing was buried only to be reminded through someone else that brings it up or maybe through a circumstance that you're going through in your life. And it just brings it up and you're like, wow, I did not know that was in there. I thought that thing was buried. And all of a sudden we have these regrets. We have guilt. We have shame. And we're like, how do I get over this? Is it simply just forgiving myself? And so we've all made these poor choices. Maybe you've made an innocent mistake that was purely on accident, yet you are so hard on yourself and you can't get over it and you can't forgive yourself. I heard a true story about a woman who was taking care of her mom and her her mom uh, was getting ready to die from just a a long-standing illness. And and so the the caretaker daughter went away for just a little bit and she came back and her mother passed away and she wasn't right there by her bedside. And she had so much just just so much hurt over that and she she felt selfish and she couldn't forgive herself for not being there when her mom passed away. We all have these stories and I've heard a lot of these stories, these stories of past regrets and how do we overcome them. And, and, and these are horrible burdens that we can carry and the guilt at times can become overwhelming. So how do we overcome these past regrets that we all have? Is it simply being able to Forgive yourself, and is forgiving yourself really taught in the scriptures? Is it really taught? Because we will hear this all the time. We'll just, well, hey, you just got to forgive yourself. That's all. You just got, you got to forgive. You just, you got to get over it. Just be done with it. Get over it. It's not that simple. How many of you know? It's just not that simple sometimes. And if I go to Christ and find forgiveness, do I actually need to forgive myself? See, the issue of not feeling worthy of forgiveness or feeling the need to forgive yourself, I believe, is a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel. So, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, we understand the gospel is good news. We understand that Jesus came to give us good news. He came to give his life for us. He came to die in our place, to take our sins upon the cross. We understand that. I think what happens many times, if you're a follower of Jesus... I think we understand that. Okay, I understand why Jesus came. He died on the cross for my sins. I receive him as my Savior. It's by his grace that I'm saved, yada, 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 right? I I get that. But then we stop there. Do you believe that the gospel, do you understand that the gospel is something that we need to preach to ourselves every single day? Because if we understand intrinsically what the gospel is, there's forgiveness within the gospel, that I need to be giving forgiveness daily to others who don't deserve it either. Because if I can receive that forgiveness from Christ when I didn't deserve it, then what keeps me from offering forgiveness? And then what we end up doing is making our own standard of righteousness, who deserves it and who doesn't, depending on how bad the offense is. Do you realize that we're all an offense to God? That we've all offended him because of our sin. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dig into a lot of scripture today. 
and find our freedom in Christ? And how do we overcome the guilt and condemnation of our past? So my prayer for you today is that you'll find freedom from your past and freedom in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to the words of Paul as he writes to to young Timothy. Timothy's overseeing a church. We've seen some churches. And he's trying to encourage Timothy. And, And he wants to encourage him the right way. And he wants to encourage him on what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus and what to tell the people that are under his care. And I want you to listen to the words here. Paul is completely honest and transparent about his life and his need for the mercy of God. Listen to what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at verses 15 through 17. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save perfect people who had it all together. Right? What does it say? He came in to save what? Sinners. Yeah, let's all say that. Sinners. It's okay to say it. It's okay to say it, all right? He came to save sinners. He says, which I am the worst of them all. Paul says, he came to save me and show me mercy, but guess what? I'm the worst of all sinners. Now, he's not wearing that as a badge of honor. He's getting to something here. He's not saying it to beat himself up and say, woe is me, I will never... I, I, will, I can never truly be forgiven. He's not talking about forgiving himself. Look at what he's saying here. This is so good. Is everybody with me this morning? Just okay. Checking, just checking, just checking. I haven't preached in a couple weeks. So you're in for it this morning. Okay. The message is twice as long. No, I'm just teasing. Verse 16, it says, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could come and use me as a prime example of great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All the honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Amen to God's word. Amen. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Listen, listen, listen to what he's saying here. This is so important. This is what makes the gospel so incredible. He doesn't whitewash his sins. He doesn't say they weren't that bad or I was an okay person. I was religious, just religious in the wrong way. I try to please God, but he doesn't do anything. He just says, listen, I was the worst. And I was trying to find God through my own standards. And I was wrong. My thinking was wrong. So he calls himself the worst of all sinners. It's not self-loathing. He's not beating himself up. And I'm sure Paul had a lot of regrets for what he did and how he pursued God in the wrong way. But what does Paul say? He said, God had mercy on me, the worst of all sinners. God still showed his love to me in spite of all the things that I have done. Even in his name, he still showed mercy to me. He is an example that God can forgive anyone, anyone who comes to him. That's his mercy and his grace, not dependent on your goodness not dependent on how perfect you think you are, how perfect you think you need to act, or how bad you think you are. It's not dependent on that, but it's dependent on the mercy of God. See, what Paul is telling us is that there's hope for all, that none are out of the reach of God's mercy and grace. That is such good news. So we need forgiveness, and we need to offer forgiveness. See, when we come to Christ, what we're saying is, I thought differently. I was serving my own needs, my own lusts, my own passions. 
And Christ, I realize what you did for me, and I didn't deserve it, but you gave your life for me. And it's only through your grace and mercy. I didn't merit it. I didn't earn it. But it's through your, ma- through your mercy and your grace that you accomplished these things for me. See, we live in a world that finds it difficult to admit that we need forgiveness. You see, we judge our standard of righteousness based on other people. Right? If, you know, you look at some people and say, well, they're really good and I'm not so good, or they're really bad and I look pretty good, right? We base it off what other people do. But the reality is we all need help. And this is what Paul said, we all need help. And here's the reason why. And, and, and let me give you some passages here because, listen, if you can recognize that you're a sinner, and I, and I don't mean to heap condemnation and say, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. Okay, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to sing a Linda Ronstan song, which she has a great voice, by the way, but I'm not trying to say that. Here's what I'm trying to say. Because here's, can I just be honest with you? So many people say what's wrong with the church is the reason why I go to church and the reason why I don't want to go to church is because I don't want to be made to feel guilty. Because that's just a tactic of the church to control me. If they just say you're no good, and you're a sinner, that's a way of controlling you. That is such a lie. It's such a lie. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus actually comes and gives us everything at his cost that you might know the righteousness of God. He doesn't coerce you. He doesn't get you in a headlock. He doesn't get you in a half or a full Nelson and said, you have to submit to me for you wrestlers out there. He doesn't do that. He comes in mercy and grace lays his, willingly lays his life down and takes your sin upon his back and takes the wrath of God for us. That's the Savior we serve. That's who he is. Now, I am sorry if you've witnessed something different in maybe a church you attended or heard of or saw or witnessed. I'm sorry about that, but that's not our Savior. Our Savior comes and does everything in spite of what we've done and gives his life for you and I. See, when I realize that, then I willingly want to lay my life down to my Savior. Not because he coerced me, not because he makes me, but out of his love and grace and mercy, I want to lay my life down and serve him because he's a perfect Savior. He doesn't hold guilt and condemnation over my head. So Paul is telling us there's hope for all of us. So listen to what Paul says, because he's going to lay the groundwork that why we need a Savior and why the gospel message is so beautiful. Listen to what he says to, in the book to the Romans. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all, all, all. There's no one that's closer to God than anyone else. We've all fallen short, no matter what you've done. We've all fallen short or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter. Your righteousness still falls short of God's perfection. So we've all fallen short. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We deserve death because of our sin. But the gift of God, which is purely a gift, with no strings attached, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's all through him. It's not by what I do. It's not my works. I don't merit it. It's all through Christ. It's a gift that he gives each and every one of us who come to him. And lay our life at his feet. You see, the Bible wasn't written to simply point out our sins, but to point to a Savior who could forgive our sins. It's so much more than just 
Yeah, this is what Paul says, you're a sinner. But what it does is it points to a savior. That's why the law could never work. See, in Israel, they had 613 laws, right? And they failed miserably because you broke one, you broke them all. But the point of the law was not to save anyone. It was just to point to a need that we needed a savior who could fulfill the law of God and the perfection and the righteous demands that God required. And that was Jesus. And so through him, we find the righteousness of God. It's only through Christ that we can find these things. I love what the prophet Isaiah says, just just being very honest with who we are and how we've fallen short of God and what God gives to us. Written some 700 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth, the prophet Isaiah explains of a suffering servant who would come and give his life for you and I. Jesus is not only King of kings and Lord of lords, but he was a suffering servant who came to give his life for you and I to, to deal with our biggest issue, and that's our sin issue. Listen to what the prophet says. I love these verses in Isaiah 53. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, And he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we were healed. Through the work of Christ on the cross, through his beatings, through the nails being thrusted through his hands, a crown that was made out of thorns that was thrusted upon his head, being flogged before he even went to the cross, by his beatings, we're healed, we're made right, we're made whole. Some 700 years before the Savior walked on this earth, here was the prophecy of what the Savior would do for you and I. Does this sound like a Savior who was coercive and abrasive? No. This to me is a suffering suffering servant who gave his life for us. And then he explains what we're like. We all are like stallions, right? We're not, are we? We're all like what? And sheep are what? Stupid and dumb. Sorry, guys. Hate to break the news to all you snowflakes out there, but... We are like dumb sheep who have gone astray. We've done our own thing, right? We've chased our own desires. And each of us has turned his own way, just being honest with us, right? But the Lord has laid on him, the Lord laid on Christ, the iniquity of us all. So what do we do with this? Okay, so we're dumb sheep, we're sinners, we're lost. Okay, what do we do? Here's what God does. He He doesn't just keep us there, but he does something about it. And I love what 1 John says. For this, he does something for us in Christ Jesus. And so when we're realistic that we are sinners, that we are sheep, that we are lost, that we we chase our own desires, that we want what we want, don't we want what we want, right? Have it your way. That's what we're told. But listen to what John says. He says, if we claim to be without sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves as we say, I'm not that bad. We lie to ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. He says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, the recognition of our sin and our waywardness, that's the beginning, that's the start of our reconciliation with God. 
When we can get to that point that we are lost sheep and lost sheep cannot live or survive without what? A shepherd. Jesus is that good, perfect shepherd who has come to lead us home. And we trust him with our lives. Not only is he a good shepherd, but he's the type of shepherd that lays his life down for his flock. So we, we, we've gone astray. We've done our own thing because of sin. When we recognize that, we turn to our need to a Savior in Christ Jesus who leads us the right way. See, what repentance is is very simple. Repentance isn't just simply saying, oh, I repented of all my sins. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a direction change. It's, I used to think this way. I wanted to do it my way. But I bowed my life to Christ. In repentance, he changed my way of thinking from desiring what I wanted and what I needed to laying my life down before my Savior and following his will now and what he desires. And his ways are good and his ways are perfect. Now, you may be able to understand or grasp the forgiveness of God, and maybe you're even here and you say, Pastor, I get the sin thing, and yeah, I understand that. But the bigger question for you is, how do I battle struggling to forgive myself or the burdens and the guilt that I have or the regrets that I may have? Yes, I know God can forgive, but I still struggle with my life and the things that I struggle with, right? Don't you ever feel that way? Like, I'm still struggling with this thing? I'm still struggling with this? How do we deal with those things that just burden us and put guilt on our heart because of the things that we still struggle with? Let, let, me, let me say this first of all. There's a difference, and I've said this before, between struggling and rebellion. Rebellion is like, I don't care what God says. I'm going to keep doing this because I want to do it. Well, you're a dumb sheep, okay? So that's, that's what dumb sheep do, right? They don't follow the voice of the shepherd. I'm sorry. Aren't you guys so glad you came to church today? Pastor, you're so mean today. What's going on? Listen, listen. But a struggle is something we may struggle with because we're still in this body. We're going to still struggle. But it doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. It doesn't change your identity and who you are in Christ. Okay, so now we're going to get real now. Okay, you guys ready to get real with me this morning? We're going, to, we're going to dig in here. See, here's the problem. The problem is if I'm trying to forgive myself, I'm going to try to do it my own way. And that's not the way, it's not the way it works. You're not going to find that freedom. So how do I get over carrying these heavy burdens? I love what John Beeson says here. He goes, over, overcoming your shame and guilt do not depend on your ability to forgive yourself. It doesn't. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I know we hear that a lot in our world. But I'm going to tell you why. And we're going to find it in the gospel message. This is where I believe a correct understanding of the gospel, gospel message will help you. Because through Christ and your identity in him, we are completely forgiven. Here, let, let me just go through some, some spots here in, in Ephesians when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Because he, he, he touches on these very things of our identity in Christ and who we are in him and where we find our, our forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7. I'm going to read it out of the, the two versions here. And I want, I want to compare the two versions, the NLT and the ESV. But let me read the first out of the NLT. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Where does the freedom come? Not in you, 
but in his son and what he already accomplished for you. Now, let me read from the ESV because I like this translation too. It says, in him, speaking of Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now, the word riches there means just just like outpouring, overflowing grace in your life. It wasn't you. It wasn't your goodness. It wasn't your performance. And that's the problem in Christianity is that performance-based Christianity is not Christianity. Me trying to perform for God and trying to do all these acts of righteousness for him to make up for my shortcomings will never work. It may work for a while, but it won't work in the long run because you're going to be frustrated again. Because you're going to struggle with the same thing. Oh, I thought I overcame this. Listen, it's all about obedience. See, what we want is we we want the victory. We, We want like, okay, I got this. I can overcome this. I got the victory. I got the victory over this. And all of a sudden, three weeks later, you're like, boop, you fall flat on your face again. It's not about like, okay, you've totally overcome. You got the victory and whoa, go and fight it. Because what do I end up doing? I end up fighting it in my own strength. It's about obedience. That every single day I wake up and I say, God, I need your help. It's not me. It's not me. It's got to be you that helps me to work through this day and to work through my struggles. And you know what? God is big enough to handle your struggles. Why in the world do we try to sugarcoat or throw potpourri on our sins or our our struggles? Why do we do that? God already knows my heart. And he says, when you come and lay your struggles down in my heart, that's where you find God's freedom, you find your identity, because he still receives me. Even as I struggle in my life, I know that my father is not going to stiff arm me. I know my father is not going to shame me. I know my father's not going to sit there and say, you did it again, Barton. How dare you and cast me away. He's not going to do that because my identity is a son, is a child in Christ Jesus. And he says, Barton, I know you got struggled, but come to me. My help is there every single day. My forgiveness is there. It's been purchased for you already. So when we speak of sins and the things we struggle with, Jesus' death on the cross not only figures out your sin for today, but all your past stuff and all the future stuff that you're going to do. It's been accomplished already through the finished work of Christ. And so the freedom comes in knowing who I am in Christ. That's where the freedom comes, that he is not going to stiff arm me. He's not going to put me out on the curb. He's not going to shame me. I'll tell you what, we just live in a world where it's so performance-based that we've got to hear the attaboys and the girl and, oh, I'm so proud of you because you did this great thing. I mean, that's all fine. And we should want to strive to do the best in our jobs and blah, blah, blah. Right, we should want to get good grades. That's all fine. But I think performance-based is like, I want to prove it so that other people will say things to me. And that's where I find my identity. That is an endless pit that can never be filled. So stop trying to perform for Jesus and God. Stop trying to do that. He already loves you. He already loves you. He already gave his life for you. So when you struggle, you come to him and you say, I'm struggling and I need your help. And guess what? Paul said, that's where God's mercy and grace and his riches get poured out on you. Instead of just the opposite where the world would say, I'm ashamed of you. I mean, 
I was I was watching the one football game against uh, Cincinnati and KC at the last play. If you guys saw it, and the one player for Cincinnati pushed Mahomes, and it gave them another 15 yards to kick the winning field goal. And I remember seeing that guy on the sideline. You could tell he was crushed. Nobody came to his side except for one person. And you could tell after the interview, he goes, I, me- I messed up. I blew it for my team. You could just tell he blew it. God doesn't walk away from you and say, you blew it. You're not part of this team or whatever. He says, you're still part of my team. Okay, confess it. It, did, it doesn't change your standing in me at all. You're my child. You are my child. Capiche? It's a translation of the Italian from the Greek and the Hebrew. No, I'm just... So the ESV study notes say this. I'm sorry, I just rambled on a whole tangent there, but I'm sorry. The, the ESV study notes say this. Redemption denotes ransoming someone from captivity, from slavery... You see, slavery comes from being captive by the very thing Jesus came to release you from, and that's our sin. And he wants to free you from that. So Jesus frees us from that slavery of sin, ultimate death. Jesus gave himself in order to free us from the power of that sin and death had. So Jesus conquers that through his death and resurrection. So how does Jesus free me from the burden of guilt that I have? Well, it can't be from me freeing myself. It can only come from Christ. And let me give you some thoughts here from a book I was reading from Robert Jones that I believe will help. And, and there may be this underlying doubt that God hasn't truly forgiven you. I think when we battle with forgiveness from God, either we've had a bad example from growing up in our childhood or maybe just a bad example at some, from a church, or, or maybe it's just us like, how can God truly forgive me? How can he do it? Pastor, you don't know the things that I've done. How can he truly forgive me? See, so what are the underlying issues of not being able to forgive yourself? Well, let's look at some of these underlying issues. See, we say that we can't forgive ourselves because we really doubt that God has forgiven us. Or, or we don't see our need for forgiveness from God, so we take over the job ourselves, And that doesn't work. How many tried that? That didn't work really well, right? That's a never-ending battle. See, the person who says, I just can't forgive myself, may be trying to establish their own standard of righteousness. In this case, the expression, uh, the expression, I can't forgive myself, is equivalent to saying, I haven't lived up to my own perfect standard, or, this is really good, I haven't lived up to other people's expectations. Let's just pause there for a minute. That's so good. So what we're trying to do is we, either we have this standard that we haven't lived up to, so I can't, I, it's just too high, or we want to please everybody else and live up to their expectations and get their accolades that I'm doing well. And so what we do is we try to work our way out of it. I'll be better. I'll do more. I'll be gooder. I'll be gooder. I'll be gooder. Right? You ever try to be gooder? It just doesn't, it just, gooder doesn't work. Gerder done. You can say Gerder done. Gerder done. Gitter done. Gerder done. It doesn't work. 
It just doesn't work when we try to do it ourselves. So our our longing, listen, our longing for self-forgiveness arises from our failure to measure up to our standards of performance, our own image of how good we ought to be. Oh, man, that is such a deadly pit to fall into. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you with Paul's words to the church in Ephesus. In the first chapter, he says four times as he opens his letter to the church in Ephesus who they are in Christ. So let me remind you who you are in Christ. I'm going to have the worship team come up and we're going to close in communion, but, but let, me, let me remind you of who you are in Christ. In verse 7, in chapter 1, it says, in him we have redemption. Read, read Ephesians chapter 1 later, but verse 1. It says, verse 7, it says, in him we have, we have redemption. Chapter 1, verse 11, says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ, we're redeemed. In Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. Verse 13 says, in him you heard the word of truth, and in him you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Christ, Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is no more condemnation. In Christ, we are free, free from guilt and free from the shame. Now, there are consequences to the choices we pick, right? We all know that. And there are consequences that we live with because of the choices that we make or that we will make. There There are consequences to that. But in Christ Jesus, when there is forgiveness and he covers us, Those things don't define who you are in Christ any longer. You are free in Christ Jesus. So pastor, how do I I live with that? How do I deal with the guilt of my past and the things that I've done? Listen, the way you do, you deal with it is your forgiveness. You offer forgiveness and you receive Christ's forgiveness. It's not through you and what you've done. You, You offer it, you receive it. And it's all through Christ. It's just, it's a gift of his grace and mercy that God is not making you earn or perform to get it. Barred, you got to, okay, it wasn't good enough. That didn't, that didn't stick. So now you got to work harder. You got to work harder. It doesn't work. But find it in Christ and his finished work. So let me close with this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And listen to what he says here. Paul says, all of us lived among them at one time. Talking about we all you know, lived in the world before Christ. We lived in the world, gratifying what? The cravings of our flesh and following the des- desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, deserving wrath. We deserved it. We didn't follow God. We, we deserved it. But in verse 4, he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, again, Paul says, rich in mercy, Verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Period. Grace you have been saved. Not of yourself, not of your works, not of your goodness, not of your past, not of the bad choices you've made. By grace you are saved. Receive it by faith and allow Christ to bring the freedom that you're looking for in your life. It comes that way. And when you can find that, you're going to start living for Christ and you're not going to be living in your past. 
You're going to be living in your future of that child of God that nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Would you be confident in who you are in Christ Jesus and stop allowing your past and your choices to define that for you? Listen, other people may do that, but you know what? That's not Christ. The enemy, the enemy may remind you of the past and the things and the, the, the wrong choices you made, but that's not Christ. In Him, no more condemnation. In Him, the thing that condemned you was the way you lived and the choices you made, but not in Christ Jesus because you found forgiveness and freedom and has redeemed you from your past. Just like Paul said, we all live like that in one way. Can we say amen? We did. But he says, you're under grace now. You're under grace. Start living under God's grace. And when you live under God's grace, it'll humble you. Because you know why? You know you don't deserve it. So you're like, God, I need your grace today. I didn't think too kindly of that person that passed me on the highway and cut me off. I'm not thinking godly thoughts right now. I need your grace. I need your grace. The same grace that saved you is the same grace you're going to dole out to others who don't deserve it. Let's start living that way as believers. Can we start doing that? And living in the power of his grace. Thank God it's not dependent on us anymore. It's all through Christ. So as we take communion today, I'm going to shut up. And we're going to take communion today. And I want you to take out your, your communion cups and Let me, let me explain. I know it's like trying to open up a Rubik's Cube when you open these up. But remember, there's one foil on the top that releases the wafer. And then the foil underneath, just separate that from the plastic tab. Don't all pull it at once. And just separate the foil from the plastic tab, and that will release the juice. So there you go. I'm getting really good at this, by the way. Um, so just the top foil will give you the wafer and then the plastic uh, foil part just separate that from the plastic and you'll you'll get your juice there you go wonderful wonderful I, I want you to I want you to look at these emblems for just a moment they're emblems Jesus with his last supper with his disciples says whenever you do this do this in remembrance of me the wafer here symbolizes Jesus's body just as as Isaiah said that was beaten for us that by his stripes were healed. He gave himself for us, completely gave himself for us. The cup symbolizes his perfect blood that was shed for us, which means that Jesus' sacrifice, listen to me, Jesus' sacrifice appeased the holy standards of God because Jesus was God and he was perfect. That's why there's no need for any other sacrifices. There had to be a penalty paid because of our sin and Jesus gave himself as a substitute for you and I. So as we take communion as the body of Christ, let's examine our hearts like Paul said. If there's anything in my life that I need to give to the Lord, this is a good time to do it and just say, God, I need your help. I struggled this week, but I know you're, you're rich in mercy and grace and so I depend on your grace. I know I'm not worthy in myself to take communion, but in Christ Jesus, I am worthy because of what he accomplished for me. 
So I'm going to give my shortcomings to you and I'm going to be filled with your grace and your mercy and I'm going to celebrate communion and what you accomplished for me, Jesus. Don't take this haphazardly. If you feel like you don't, you, you don't want to take it today, that's okay. No judgment zone here. I'd rather have you seriously think about what you're doing than haphazardly take this and walk over the, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you. If you're not ready to do that or, or, you, or, or you haven't seriously thought that through, don't, 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 don't take it. That's okay. We love you. I'd rather have you do that than take it haphazardly. Listen, none of us are perfect. We all messed up. But Jesus is perfect. And I need his grace. So as we take communion today, we ask for his forgiveness. We ask that it would bind us together as a family of God. And we thank him for his cleansing. We thank him for his life. So as we take communion today, let's remind ourselves of that. So let's pray. Father God, as we hold these emblems in our hand, we thank you for the wafer that symbolizes your body that was given for us. We don't take that lightly. We thank you for the cup. We know that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. We thank you, Jesus, that you went the whole way. You went the whole way. You didn't stop short. You didn't back off. You did everything to reach us, and for that we are thankful. Thank you that it's by your grace we're saved today through our faith in you, Jesus. So we believe that you and you alone are the only way to God that you and you alone are the only one who is worthy of our praise. You and you alone are the only one who can truly sanctify us and cleanse us. So as we partake in community today, we recognize that and we thank you for what you accomplished in our place. We love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. Let's, let's partake of both the wafer and the drink together. Amen.